Hello and welcome to another episode of SoccerCast Chicago. I'm your host, Alex Campbell, and as a trade for the last episode being only me talking the entire time, this one won't have any of just me, so we'll call it even, and I'm honored that my guest today is taking time from his two-day vacation from non-stop NWSL play-by-play to come on the show, the voice of the NWSL Challenge Cup on CBS All Access, Mr. Mike Watts. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Alex, happy to be here, although I think most fans would probably be better served by just having you talk, but I'm happy to be here regardless. I I appreciate that. So, um, some, (laughs) some people might not know that while these games are taking place out in Utah, you're down in Florida calling all of these remotely. Uh, I know you're someone, as a lot of people are in this business, who has experience calling games off of monitors, but how has the Challenge Cup thus far been different to what you're used to in calling games remotely? Uh, For the most part, it's been great. You know, I think there's sort of those natural hitches of sort of dealing with having some people on site and others not, so... You know, trying to best set up Marissa when we don't actually get to sit down with Marissa. Uh, she's down on our sideline for the entire tournament, so making sure we're all on the same page, even though we're not uh, literally in the same location, and you know, working with Lori and uh, trying to talk to coaches and players. And if you're at a, at a game, usually you get to walk the field and see coaches in person, and you don't really get that luxury from from afar. But that's sort of the nature of remote broadcasting in general and and the coaches and the the PR people in this league have always been great. This isn't a new phenomenon and and we've been doing Remy's in the NWSL now for years. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's something about this that that's kind of, you know, back to normal uh, for us a little bit, Uh, but you know, it's been a lot of fun for us. I mean, Lori and I are having a ball uh, in terms of, of calling the games themselves and, you know, interacting with fans and interacting with coaches again and, and just watching games. I mean, we both love soccer. and We're just happy to have games in front of us after such a long layoff. And so you and Lori, the setup you guys have is a little different. Normally you'd be, you know, in a press box standing next to your broadcast partner or remotely maybe at a desk standing or sitting. You guys have this interesting socially distanced setup. How is that? How would you say that's, you know, changed the way, you know, you guys interact during a broadcast? Does it make it any harder to have them, even though they're in your ear, ear like normal, to have Lori say 10 or 15 feet to your right rather than right next to you? Yeah, well, and at some point I need to tweet a picture so people can understand. I mean, we, we usually are in a, you know, a booth where being six feet distant is, is literally impossible. Right. So. <laughs> You know, for us, even our on-cameras at the beginning of the show, at the end of the show, at halftime, we're in, in what they call a two-box. Even not being able to turn to Lori, because in a two-box, you, you should be looking straight on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lori is so far away from me that I would have to turn sideways to actually see her. Um, it is a little weird. It, it's a... Uh, it's very much a kind of in-the-know thing. If, if you're in TV, you know there's sort of a, a rhythm you get into and in how you do your opens, and not looking at your partner is a little bit weird. So, um, you know, Lori and I are sort of feeling that out. We, we usually, you know, there's little touch cues. Hey, you know, lay out for a second. Let me jump in here. Let me talk tactics. Okay, I can back out. Um you know, those things we can't do, but large in part, we've set up the monitors in a way where 
were kind of angled where you sort of see out of your periphery, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other. And that's helped, I think, a a significant amount in terms of we we sort of we've been calling each other work husband, work wife at this point. So (laughs) we we know each other's nonverbal cues just well enough to be able to figure it out. Hopefully that comes through. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, and we'll talk about the soccer in a minute, but, you know, obviously that familiarity is important. The Chicago Red Stars can speak to that. And, you know, a couple professional defenders who haven't played next to each other. You might rather have a couple of rookies who know each other real well, you know, like the Northwestern duo we saw. But especially in broadcasting, it's that's super important to have that familiarity. I know to most people, this idea of you call you guys calling all these games inside of three weeks sounds really insane. But I feel like you're someone who might be uniquely prepared for this kind of thing because in comparison to what might go on in a weekend of usl games where i know you're someone who's been known to call you know three or four in a weekend this might actually seem kind of relaxed in comparison yeah no i've called four in a day before and i can tell you that's that's murderer's row for sure but um it's 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 almost like you're stretching your arm out. It's almost like spring training to an extent where you, you kind of throw your starting pitcher for, you know, you start him, but he maybe goes two innings. Mm-hmm. And from the beginning here with the way that the time slots are set up to avoid that the heat in Utah and uh, best serve the players, which is the number one priority, uh, <laughs> we're stretching to a nine inning game right from the outset. So, you know, to a certain extent, after a three-month layoff, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, I used to be uh, really used to doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now a little less so, but, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, a, a, a little over 200 games last year, all told. And, and so doing, uh, you know, 23 in a month and USL come back in the middle of this, so it'll probably be closer to 30. Uh, in the course of a month isn't a a record necessarily for me, Mm -hmm. but it's the little things that we're trying to do, trying to create synergy in in how we go about preparation. Uh, You know, maybe she'll take one coach and I'll take the other when we've both already spoken to Paul Riley or Rory Dames or, Mm -hmm. you know, Craig Harrington, who's obviously new in Utah. So you're, you're learning a, a new coach and his style and, how he views the team as opposed to a guy like Rory, who we've talked to uh, over the course of the last three, four seasons enough where, you know, most of the team still remains. Uh, so trying to find little synergies, trying to find ways to sort of, you know, relax between games and, and catch our breath a little bit and then kind of regain an approach for the late game. Uh, all those things have sort of come into play, but, you know, uniquely prepared might be, giving me a little too much credit i mean we came into this going gosh it's been so long and we were so excited for the tournament that uh you know adrenaline has been sort of carrying us through and and working with cbs for the first time and they've been great it's it it, it's almost like adrenaline is letting us kind of tap through that first opening week i think even some fans will feel that because i know you know that that first the first late game, that Red Stars game against the Washington Spirit that kicked off at 9 p.m., I know that felt like a marathon, you know, and I think for everyone watching, these days have felt long, so I can only imagine how it feels for you guys, and also the players, which I think this is a good time to start getting into the soccer. In general, I mean, now that you've you've seen every team at least once at this point, in general, what has stood out to you about what we've seen on the field broadly over this first week of games? 
Yeah, I think you're you're seeing a couple teams that are really focused on getting on the front foot from the outset. Utah, Houston, North Carolina, Washington are teams that just from from the word go we're getting after it. Um, and it's not to say the other four teams aren't looking to play attacking football. That's not necessarily the question, but certainly their goal scoring was there from the outset. And uh, there's a lot to like about what they brought to the table. I, I think you can see that there is sort of that. It, it's been for some of these players that didn't play overseas during the off season, talking seven, eight months since they've played competitive soccer. And, and that's, that's an eternity in this game. And even within that, most of that time, you know, in, in recent months, you've been limited to, you know, we we're talking to coaches. I think Paul Riley told me he did 37 videos a couple of days into quarantine to create workouts for a player and their roommate so that you could do a two player workout. You know, that's, that, that's not competitive, you know, kind of training to get ready for something of this ilk. And so is there going to be a little bit of a lag at the outset and you're dealing with altitude and uh, trying to get used to playing 90 minutes in, in such a fierce game, it, that's going to take a little bit of error out of the ball sometimes. So we've mm-hmm. seen a little bit of that too. But all in all, I think the level of play has been good. We've gotten some great goals so far. I think there's a lot to like. Absolutely, and you know, I'd say we've really only seen one game that I would call not exciting and kind of slow. That was that OL Rain Sky Blue matchup, which, you know, there's a lot we can attribute that to. But I definitely agree. I mean, that North Carolina Spirit game last night was being played at 1,000 miles an hour until, I don't know, probably about the 70, 75th minute once it was pretty clear which way it was going, and North Carolina semi-mercifully eased up a little bit down the stretch of that game. But it's definitely been really exciting. That Houston-Utah game was crazy, and I'm hoping we get more of that. Obviously, because of this podcast, I want to talk Red Stars a little bit. Um, it seems like every team has a different kind of theory of the case for this tournament. North Carolina has made it very clear their goal is to win every game by several goals and win this trophy. Rory Dames made it very clear that he was not very interested in wins and losses in these first four games. What have you made of how they've handled these first two matchups, especially changing their entire starting 11 for that second game and really giving a chance to a ton of younger players? I I, I think it's got to be pretty easy to say. I think the Red Stars have played more different players than any team so far at this tournament. So from a broadcast perspective, you know, what's how what's your view been of the way they've looked in these first couple of, first couple matches? Sure. Well, they're definitely the only team that's used all three goalkeepers. So you've got you've got that as sort of the first box ticked. Uh, but I, yeah, they came in with that mentality, and he was probably more vocal than most in in terms of media saying, you know, we had a plan through three games, and we're going to follow it. It meant doing a completely different eleven in game two. Uh, a lot of those players, I think, it was five or six had never played, uh, uh, either never started or never played in an NWSL game before. So, you know, to throw them in baptism by fire against North Carolina, certainly um, I I think there's an element of, okay, let's go and see who sinks and who swims. And 
I, I think you know the center backs were, were actually very solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there were a handful of players that probably made a, a decent name for themselves. I mean, Savannah McCaskill didn't score, but got a lot of praise from Ori post game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's huge in her career because because it's you're starting to get toward the point where you want to see Savannah make the next step, and and she's already gotten a taste of the national team and. You know, Chicago could be that place for her. So that was major for her, even if you argue that the result wasn't the number one thing Chicago wanted. And I'm confident Rory ultimately, regardless of who he puts on the field, still wants to win. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think he learned a lot about his team in that game against North Carolina, even if it wasn't necessarily what, you know, the team like, Washington is looking for North Carolina. Beg your pardon. Um, uh, you know, like it, that. That's going to tell you a lot uh, about your group. How you play against Portland. Beg your pardon. Um, mm-hmm. You know that. That's that's the statement of intent. Is we're going to see what these players can do against Lindsey Iran. We're going to see what they can do against Christine Sinclair. Whereas Washington against North Carolina is saying this is our measuring stick. Right. This is where we really find out. And I think the spirit, I mean, I think there's so much good that the spirit is showing. Obviously, no individual team right now is on North Carolina's level, but you can see what Richie Burke is trying to do in Washington, and it seems like that project has a really good foundation. But yeah, for the Red Stars, you talked about Savannah McCaskill. When you look at that team right now, Stryker's just an enormous question mark, and obviously we've seen a couple different things, but I think I'd agree with you. This is potentially a huge opportunity for her, knowing that, if you can establish yourself and score a couple goals on this Red Stars team, there's a lot of opportunity there given the huge percentage of goals they lost in the form of uh, in the form of Sam Kerr. Um, but yeah, definitely a couple of players making big impressions. Kayla Sharples at center back. Bianca St. George in that first game playing right back against the Spirit. Everybody seemed to really enjoy her performance. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do against North Carolina this weekend. You know, because who knows what Rory has planned, you know, from a fan's perspective, I think a lot of people would hope that he's dialing up the strongest, if not close to the strongest, 11 he can for that game. And a lot of fans have some pretty uh, pretty tough feelings about the last time the Red Stars saw North Carolina last year. So, so I know that's going to be going to be an interesting one to watch this weekend. Speaking of North Carolina, I mean, is there is there any reason to think that they are not far and away? I mean, I think we we could all agree that they're far and away the strongest team in the league right now. Um, you know, other than them, who do you think who who has impressed you more than maybe you expected? Who do you think's been the biggest the team that's made the biggest step up from when we last saw them? Yeah, I desperately wanted to see how Washington played North Carolina last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought that was. Uh, a major game because you you know the talent Washington has. You, you know that they were top four in goals, four in goal against, but you also know they missed the playoffs last year. You know Rose Lavelle hasn't played a ton of minutes in the league because of injury and international duty. You know Ashley Hatch has this really high ceiling, and will that carry over? You know, D.B. Osti didn't start, but uh, came off the bench in that game. Mm-hmm. She's... Uh, highly celebrated. You, you look at some of their backs that are, you know, have high upside. So I wanted to see how they would play. And, and truth of the matter is, once the midfield changed for North Carolina, the game changed significantly. I mean, right. I said during the broadcast, Don O'Sullivan and Mewis 
coming in at the same time has to be the single greatest triple sub in league history. Um, Utah, uh, I thought was really good. Um, uh, Houston, conversely, uh, I thought had a lot of really good moments and got in behind well and, and did some things well. Um, you know, I think those three probably stand out as, as teams that really went beyond my expectation from the outset. I, I think Chicago, based on what they said coming in, is about at the level I had anticipated. Um, sky blue and oil rain, I, I, I'm not sure they really stepped out of their comfort zone nearly enough in the game they played. So I'm interested to see how they play next time around against teams that were a little more free-flowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Saturday, so I, I think there's still a lot to figure out at this point. Um, it, it one game, especially your first game after theoretically seven, eight months off, is difficult to judge uh, on its own, but I, I think we're starting to get a clearer picture. Yeah, and the hope, I think, would be that by the time we get to the knockout stage, you know, obviously some teams like the Red Stars are rotating more than others, but you'd like to think that after four games, we'll have kind of an idea of of what of why where these teams stand and what to expect as as we go into the knockout stages. So lots to come on the soccer front. Obviously, we're still very early in this tournament. Um, before I let you go, though, Mike, anytime I have someone on the podcast who's at all involved in the broadcast side of this business, I always like to ask them about how they got to where they are. So for you, what was what was the first thing that gave you the play-by-play itch, and where does where did it start for you as deciding that this is the business you wanted to get into? Yeah, the, the itch, it, 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 it was always there. I mean, it's tough to really pinpoint, you know, one moment. I grew up in Ohio, uh, so a Cleveland sports fan. Uh, I think we're notoriously diehard. Um, you know, grew up with the radio on most nights, uh, listening to baseball, you know, and, and listening to the Browns. And so, you know, the itch was there, the, the broadcast itch, you know, really once I was a sophomore in high school, we, we sort of had a broadcast club there that was just kind of beginning. Uh, so jumped into that. And by junior year, we have a team that's competing for a high school national championship in soccer. We're going, hey, this this team deserves coverage, too. Mm-hmm. So we start covering them. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really sort of getting along with it. I decide to go to New York and, and go to Fordham, which has a really good business school, but also a really world-renowned radio station, an NPR affiliate on campus with a really bold-faced list of, of sports broadcast alums. So, okay, uh, let's go try this a little bit more. And while I was there, uh, I got a chance to do Sky Blue games while I was still in college. Wow. Uh, You know, that was a major breaking point uh, for me. Uh, So, okay, now I'm doing some pro soccer and you're playing with, you know, some of the best players in the world on the field. And it's, I mean, it's glorious to, to have that opportunity at that age. So, you know, went from there, finished school, and just sort of wanted to give this a go. And I'm lucky that the USL, uh, <laughs> among others, were sort of first in the door and giving me a shot out of school. When the NWSL moved their broadcasts into a remote operation, 
they came into the same building and I got to get back into the NWSL, which I'm obviously excited about coming into this year, uh, especially. And, I, you know, it's, I, I do as many games as I can because I love doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think anyone who works in this industry is only here because we really genuinely love it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by watching how Chicago plays next time out. Otherwise I wouldn't show up, <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's, it, I'm genuinely excited, um, about, about more or less every game I do. And, and that gives me, uh, you know, that itch over and over again. I think that's really true. Like I said, it's, you know, the the best people in this business are the ones you can tell are seem happier to be at their jobs every day than anybody else in the world. And I think there's I think there's definitely truth to that. And I think it's kind of something that makes sports media special in a lot of ways. Um, so you mentioned you were covering a, your high school soccer team and then you ended up doing Sky Blue while you were in college. Did you always want to do soccer? I mean, I know I think in a, we're of a generation where growing up listening to sports on the radio or watching sports on TV, soccer wasn't anything that was front and center. So when did when did you decide or when did you know that soccer was going to be the sport that kind of became the center of your career to this point? Yeah, soccer sort of grabbed me by the wrist a little bit and, and pulled me along. I mean, you know, the soccer team at St. Ignatius in Cleveland was fantastic. Most of my friends in high school were either broadcasting the soccer matches with me or playing on the field. So you're sort of surrounded by it. You go to Fordham, Ryan Mayer is the goalkeeper for Red Bulls. Uh, he, he was still in school at that time. So you've got, you know, a great team in the A-10. So you, you fall into that. Uh, I was credentialed as a reporter because we were an NPR affiliate for the Red Bulls. So I'm covering pro matches while I'm still in school. Uh, I get Sky Blue while I'm still in school. And it's you keep sort of adding up the pieces and and you're sort of building a career where, you know, I I love the flow of a soccer match from a broadcast perspective. Mm -hmm. And hopefully uh, people will forgive. You know, I made an error error, um, during the broadcast. I guess I said red thorns. You know, it's... There's sort of a free-flowing nature to it. You make mistakes. Earlier in this interview, I, I referenced Chicago playing North Carolina, even though I'm well aware they did not play them last night. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, to a certain extent, it's it's exhausting sort of the um, extent to which the games are flowing. But, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful sport to call. It, it's, it's such a emotional sport. Uh, such a sort of roller coaster ride over 90 minutes. Uh, it's got sort of the perfect mix of sort of lay back and, and let the game come to you. And those those moments that, that sort of define a match are, are at times fleeting, so they can really matter. Um, you know, soccer just sort of grabbed me and held on to me, and I'm happy to be here as long as people allow me to. I just hope they'll uh, you know forgive the forgive the mistakes along the way, you know, while I've figured it out. Well, I think if the worst that comes of it is uh, somebody in women's soccer Twitter making a Red Thorns Twitter account within 30 seconds of you saying it on air, if that's, <laughs> if that's the worst thing, I think I think you're doing a pretty good job, and I certainly 
tip my cap, and I know a lot of people around this sport tip my cap to anyone who's really invested their time and energy in, you know, in American soccer, in growing its platform and growing the exposure to this sport. Because I think we all know if, you know, especially those of us around soccer know, you don't get into soccer for the money by any means. You get into it because you love this sport. So I think you're one of many people, a whole, you know, a whole industry of people who have really dedicated themselves to this. And I think, you know, the future of the sport in the U.S. is is better, better off because of all the people who've who've made that choice out of just, you know, doing this because they absolutely love love the game and love what they do. Absolutely. And and Alex, I I think the thing I underscore is I wouldn't be here if I didn't genuinely love this league. Right. I I think I said at the end of the Utah-Houston game, um, this is so NWSL. That 89th minute equalizer in the back and forth of it. Um, But I live in New York City. I'm I'm away from home for a month. You know, if if you think about what the writers who who cover this league are, are going through right now, you're waking up at, you know, if you're on the East Coast... You know, you're waking up probably writing in the morning, finishing up your your thoughts from last night. Game at 12:30. You're doing you know press conferences remotely on Twitch. The late game doesn't start till 10. You know, you're finishing up your your stuff for the night after the press conferences at two in the morning. You didn't get into this because the hours are great or because the money was great. I mean, you genuinely love this league you you love women's soccer you love growing professional soccer in the united states i mean that's why we're here you know i i i just you know i I do wish you know more people would jump on the bandwagon with us and you know i i think you know the thing i i tell fans is i'm on the bandwagon i'm with you guys i'm 100 percent there yeah, and I think, you know, I think that's all we can do is just kind of uh, keep doing the work. And, you know, it's good to see, obviously, you know, I think we'd all prefer more of these games to be on TV. But the fact that CBS made this commitment to pick this up, I think it bodes well for next year. And I know you saw the numbers that that first game got on TV, over half a million people tuning in, which is unprecedented for women's soccer. So I think, you know, I think there's uh, there's data there that shows the work is starting to pay off. And I think all we can do is uh, do is keep at it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, the business model of professional soccer is going to gradually change. Mm-hmm. You know, a big reason why pay models are, are the way it is is because, you know, rights fees need to be paid or, or the ability to, you know, help raise the, the, the salaries we give players. And, you know, the money has to come from somewhere. And I, the one thing that, Lisa Baird has done in this tournament that's blown me away. The sponsors that they've gotten, I, I, you know, it's one thing to say we don't want to commercialize soccer to the point that it's unrecognizable, but it's a totally different thing to be able to effectively make sure that soccer has a future through through these sponsorships, through these sponsorships, through CBS, through you know, different avenues, and I think we're starting to get there. I've never felt we have more traction than we do right now. So, you know, anyone who who watches on All Access, uh, I I think the league, I think CBS, I think, you know, uh, players appreciate that people are spending their money on this. 
and I personally don't mind at all if you mute me. <laughs> Just please watch. You can mute me. I, I wish they had an option. Mute Mike, mute Lori, mute both. Uh, but I, that we haven't gotten that far yet. But please watch. Tell other people to watch. Like that. That we we need to. I, I want to be a prophet for this sport <laughs> as best I can. I want to evangelize this sport. <laughs> Lori certainly does as well. So, you know, we're, we're just, you know, we're, we're happy that CBS has given us the platform. Uh, I believe the Chicago game uh, is, is re-airing, you know, as we record this interview tonight on CBS Sports Network. You know, leave it on, <laughs> uh, even if it's a little bit late in the day, and, and sort of let it, you know, run on the meter. I mean, whatever it takes, let's, you know, really try and support. Well, you can watch Mike Watts on CBS All Access this weekend. Doubleheader again Saturday and Sunday. We'll see all eight teams play and listen to him and Lori if you so choose. Uh, when you're not on TV, Mike, where can people find you on social media? Uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing the tweets from this one, but uh, at Mike Watts on Arrow got the job done. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, please, you know, I, I really try and be approachable. So feel free to drop me a line or tell me you don't think I'm very good or whatever it takes. Just, you know, happy to be part of the conversation. Well, I'm, I'm happy you were able to be part of this conversation today, Mike. Really appreciate you taking the time, and hopefully, we'll have you back on the show in the future. Thanks, Alex. Looking forward to it. Be good.